I wonder how many churches you have ever been a member of. And when I say churches, I'm not talking about different denominations. How many different local congregations have you ever been a member of in your lifetime? Well, I'm sure that varies for all of us, but uh, I was trying to think back and count. Of course, when you're old like me, uh, you have to think back farther. But I count eight congregations that in my lifetime I have been a member of. Uh, That sort of seems high, but... You know, in this mobile society that we live in and people moving around so much, that may not be as high as some of the rest of you. Uh, Think about all those congregations that you might have been a member of. Uh, And then maybe think also of all the different congregations that you have visited over time. How many of you think you've visited over time? Well, that would rank up in the dozens, maybe a hundred or more of congregations that you, and I think I certainly would be in that category of well over a hundred congregations that I have visited and where I've worshipped with brethren at various times. Of all of those, obviously you find churches that uh, have different characteristics. They all most certainly have their particular strengths and weaknesses. How would you rate them? Of all the churches that you know something of, having either been a member there or visited there or know people there, how would you rank them? What congregation would you rank as the strongest congregation that you're aware of or that you've been a member of? What's the weakest one? What's the most active congregation? What's the least active congregation? All those kind of things we might use to rank congregations. Well, as we go to the Scriptures we have knowledge of a number of New Testament congregations of God's people because they are described about uh, they are described to us in, in the, the New Testament Scriptures. And, and we know a, a good bit about several of them. Uh, and, and on that basis, we could probably rank them, at least some of them. We know enough that we could put them sort of in a rank, which were best and which were worse. Obviously... The Lord is the final judge of all such things. But today I want us to think about one of the New Testament congregations that I would rank as a good one, a strong one, and that's the church at Thessalonica. We want to make some observations about that congregation that by all indications was a good church. Uh, Not too long ago in our study in the book of Acts, we read about the beginnings of the church in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. Paul was there. He he didn't stay nearly as long there as he stayed in some other places. We think maybe about three weeks that Paul was in Thessalonica. And he had to leave under threat. His life was in danger and he had to leave there. So you'd probably say that was not a great beginning for the church in Thessalonica. But the fact of the matter is that that church developed into a strong, working congregation. Yancey read uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 to us just a minute ago, and we won't take time to read that again, but just to, to remind you of that reading, Paul was commending them. They were a good church, and they received commendation from the Apostle Paul. And so we want to ask, what made them good? Why did they succeed? And it's more than just an academic question, it's a practical question. Because if we can see some of the things that really help them be a good church, then that should indicate to us the things we need to be a good, strong, faithful congregation of the Lord. And so we'll be looking at at a text there from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 in just a minute.
We stopped briefly to add words of welcome to those already extended. We're glad that you are here. Uh, thankful for the beautiful weather we're having today after a little bit of foul weather earlier this week. But we are glad for a good weather day and a Lord's Day. We're thankful for a Lord's Day when we can come together, assemble, uh, join our voices in song and praise, study together from His Word. This is a great blessing and we're, we're grateful that this is a day that allows us to do this. And, and we thank you for being here to be a part of it. All right, so what about the church at Thessalonica? Why were they successful? I want to key in on that text that Yancey read for us a minute ago. I want to key in especially on verses 9 and 10 where Paul describes them as having turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. Uh, I, I think that there are three principal aspects noted here that made them successful and will make us successful too. And that rating, by the way, we want to improve in our rating, right? So how, how do we, on that scale of congregations you know about, how do we rank? Wherever you put us, okay? We want to move up in rank, right? We'd like to be a better congregation. And, 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 and that ranking, by the way, that we're looking for is not a ranking that comes from people who might visit here, although we'd like them to have a favorable impression of us. That ranking is not necessarily how we would rank ourselves as members of this congregation, although hopefully we have a good feeling about what's going on at College View. The ranking that matters is the ranking that God gives us. And so how could we move up in rank? How could we be a better congregation? Well, I think we could imitate Thessalonica in these three principal ways. The first thing that is mentioned here is that they turned to God from idols. Uh, you have any idols at your house? I think all of us would, would uh, quickly say, absolutely not. I have no idols at my house. Well, what if we decided that we're going to, you know, we've we got some ladies here that are very good at crafts. We have some men who are very good at woodworking. And so we're going to commission some, some idols. They're going to be about 12 or 18 inches tall, and we're going to specify the, the characteristics of them. And then we're going to assign one of these idols to every family in the church here. And we want you to set it up in your house, and we want you to pay homage to it. Uh, it, it'll, you know, it'll just be a, what would you say? Are you crazy? You would say, are you absolutely out of your mind? I'm not going to set up an idol in my house. We all know that that's wrong. Absolutely not. Well, in, in, in the very most literal and in the very broadest sense, an idol actually is anything that we give devotion to in the place of God. Anything we do, we give devotion to in the place of God is an idol. And it doesn't have to be something that we actually carved out of wood or constructed by craft. Uh, we, we could devote ourselves to any number of things. We could devote ourselves to money. We could devote ourselves to another person or to our family. We could devote ourselves to a group of people. We could devote ourselves to some particular ambition that we have, some career pursuit, maybe some recreational activity that we enjoy. We could devote ourselves to those things more so than God. And anything that is given, that affection and that commitment, the, the affection and commitment that God deserves, and we give it to something else, then that is, in fact, idolatry. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, 
Paul used the phrase covetousness, which is idolatry. The New American Standard Version there says greed, which amounts to idolatry. And so there Paul was describing the possibility that we could pursue this world's things at the level that we're supposed to pursue God. We have supplanted God. We've put worldly pursuits there, covetousness, materialism, greed, has overtaken the place in our lives that God is supposed to possess, and that is idolatry. So, when the the phrase here in our text says they turn to God from idols, the the temptation might be to say, well, that, that doesn't really apply to us because we don't worship idols these days. Well, actually, we might, right? It, it is a potential danger to us. Even though we don't have literal physical idols, it could be a danger to us that we've let things supplant God from the number one position. In Thessalonica, uh, the idolatry that they pursued was of the classical sense. They had, they had idols. They had literal idols that they bowed down to. They worshiped pagan gods and all kinds of images in these cities. This, Thessalonica was a provincial capital in the Roman Empire. People would travel from places to come there to worship in their pagan idols, where, uh, pagan temples where they had set up their idols. And so the worship there was, uh, of idols was absolutely literal. And in some instances, we know, in those first century pagan temples, they would actually engage in acts of fornication and call it a religious act. Uh, and, and, and so typically the people were completely given over to the idol worship in these pagan cities. Paul indicates that these Christians in Thessalonica had been involved in that. They had been a part of that pagan idolatrous worship and they had turned from it. Now, before you just pass off the meaning of that expression, stop to consider what that would have involved for them. For them, it would have been a lifetime of cultural and environmental upbringing uh, uh, that they that they were turning their back on. This is this is what we've always done. My family has always done this. The people that I associate with have always done this. Uh, if I stop going with them to the pagan temple to worship the idol, if I turn my back on that, I'll be saying to my family. You all are wrong. What you're doing is is wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. Uh, if, if I do that, uh, if, if I change in this way, I, I'll very likely be alienating myself from the vast majority of friends that I have. Well, they did that though, didn't they? Even though that they would have have paid a a significant price, they might. It's very possible that they might have lost jobs or lost, uh, certainly lost positions of status in the community when they gave up their idol worship. They, they paid a price. They gave it up. What do we call that? That turning. What do we call that? Well, the Bible word is repentance, right? They repented. Idol worship is a sin. They repented of that sin. They actually turned from that practice. Repentance is, it's, it's, to really repent, it is not enough to just verbally acknowledge that what you're doing was wrong. Okay, I, so, so, so the Christians in Thessalonica, when they, when they became Christians, they said, we acknowledge that we should not have been worshiping the idols. We acknowledge that we shouldn't have been going to the pagan temples. We admit that that wasn't, that wasn't what it ought to have been. 
It wouldn't be enough just to say so, right? They would actually have to stop going to the temple. They'd have to stop bowing down to the idol, right? We, that's, we understand that, right? They understood that. That's what repentance is. It's, it's not just saying you need to do something. It's actually doing it. It's a turning. And that's what Paul is describing here. They turn to God from idols. You know, in so many things that we do, it's not enough to just say, I need to do that. You've got to follow through. Uh, for instance, how many times have some of us said, I need to go on a diet? Okay. Have you done it? <laughs> you know, obviously that's the challenge, right? It's not, it's not just to say you need to, it's the doing of it. And when it comes to spiritual things, repentance demands that we not only say that we need it and admit that we need to change, but that we actually do it. Uh, again, repentance is a turning. It's not just enough to say you need it. It's not even enough to just show remorse for your past sins. You have to stop the sin. You have to turn from that sinful activity. Uh, And that means that if I've been a thief, then I have to stop my thieving. If I have been a a homosexual, I have to stop homosexual activity, right? If I've been involved in an adulterous marriage, I have to get out of that adulterous marriage. Repentance is a turning. Don't just say that you acknowledge or need to do the change. You have to make the change. In Acts chapter 17, at verse 30, Acts chapter 17, verse 30, Paul says uh, that the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You, you've got to repent. He commands us to repent. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You've got to stop it. You, you cannot continue in the sin. And so the first thing that made these converts in Thessalonica very successful in the service of God was this turning, a, a real, obvious, visible change in their lives And that's what we need. If we're going to be successful in serving God individually and congregationally, it means that all of us need to make that change. The next phrase is significant too. They turned to God to serve the living and true God. So they turned and they served. I don't know how many of you might have gone through the process of stopping smoking. You know, if you, if you ever got caught up in that habit and had to stop it sometime, I'm sure that was very hard. I didn't, thankfully I didn't have to do that, but I'm, I'm sure for those who have had to do that, that's a hard thing to do. I have known smokers uh, who had lots of trouble successfully stopping smoking. I think there's obviously an addictive part of that process. But some of the people I've known have have tried to substitute something else to distract them from their their missing the, the cigarettes i'm i'm going to challenge your remembrance because i know a lot of you are not nearly old enough there was an old show on television years and years ago tony uh, uh savalas was it tony savalas he played kojak he played the detective kojak or no kojak kojak always had a lollipop in his mouth a, a sucker because, and it was explained on the show, he was trying to stop smoking. And so he always had something else that he stuck in his mouth so he wouldn't be reaching for a cigarette. Uh, so you've you got you to do something different, right? You've got to substitute something positive for that that you're giving up. And so when you turn from sin, 
And we're just saying, when you make that turn, you've got to stop doing that. That doesn't mean that you're like, I mean, you've got to fill that life up with something else. And so what we fill it up with is serving God faithfully. And so you, you, you turn and leave a life of sin and you live then to begin a life of service to God. I think a lot of people don't get this. And it, and it, it certainly, I believe, is the reason why there are people who obey the gospel and they become Christians, but they don't endure. They don't, they don't last. It doesn't, it doesn't stick, so to speak. And I think the reason why is, although they, they admitted and tried to turn from their sin, they didn't fill up that void in their life with anything positive, positive service to God. So when you turn from sin and stop it, then you get busy serving the Lord. In Romans chapter 6 again, Romans chapter 6 verse 17 says, God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. So they were serving sin before they, and actually the word there is slaves. They were slaves to sin before. Now they're servants of right. Now they're slaves of righteousness. But they, in other words, they, they substituted something good for that that they had given up. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to quit the sin, turn from it, but then fill that up in our lives with serving God. Uh, I want you to look at a part of that text that Yancey read for us a minute ago from 1 Thessalonians 1. One of the things that, that the people in Thessalonica had filled their life up with uh, was evangelism. Notice there in verse 8, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 8, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. They had done a wonderful job in spreading the news of salvation in Christ Jesus. And, and so they really had gotten busy in service. Paul said, you've been so effective that we don't even have to, do it, to say anything. Now, I believe that's hyperbole, obviously. I think he's just overstating that praise that, that he's given them. They'd been, but they had clearly been very active, not just in their immediate city of Thessalonica, but all through the region of Macedonia. Thessalonica was in Macedonia. Achaia was the, 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 the big region to the south. People everywhere had heard from these Christians in Thessalonica. They had spread the gospel message. Uh, and so, for us, I think the application is that we cannot console ourselves by saying, I've turned, I've quit, I quit doing that sinful thing I was doing. That's not enough. You've got to be able to say, here's what I'm doing instead, okay? So, turn to serve. That, that was clearly a, a critical part of what made the Christians at Thessalonica successful. It's what made that a good church, because it was comprised of people who were like that. What will it take for us at College View then to move up in rank? We want, the God, we want God's ranking of us to be better and better. Well, we've got to cease from sin. We've got to truly repent, stop sinning, and fill our lives up with service. Turn, serve. And then the final of the three phrases I want to emphasize to you is to wait. Turn, serve, and wait. Um, all of us here have the experience of waiting for something. Maybe something that you really are anxious to have. You really desire it. Uh, we, we all do a lot of online purchasing now. 
and very typically when you order something online, they'll give you a tracking number, okay? So uh, I've ordered this thing, and, and I can get online, and I can, I can either just click on that tracking number or, or type it in, to, uh, and, and I can see where that is. You know, it, it left its, orig- its origin, and it's now, you know, gone to this place, and it's due at the next place, and it's, it's due on my front porch on such and such a day. Because we, we want it, right? We're looking forward to getting that thing that we have ordered. It might be something else that we're looking forward to. You know, maybe, maybe we have been planning for some time to have a vacation. And, we, and we've put a lot of, of energy into uh, making the, all the detailed arrangements for a big vacation. Uh, we look forward to that sort of thing. And, and, and so the idea of waiting here, I think, is the idea of waiting with expectation, earnestly desiring uh, that to come. Spiritually, why would, so, so why would these Christians, why would they turn from worshiping idols, get busy serving the living God? Why would they do that? Because they were anxiously waiting for what was in the future, and that is the blessing of salvation. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, when I say the blessing of salvation, I mean the blessing of eternal salvation, to be at home in heaven. That's what they were looking for. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, Paul says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Paul said, if you don't have something, if you're not looking forward to something, if, if you're a Christian, but you really don't think there's, there's anything in the future for you, then that's a miserable existence, right? If in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. But the fact is, he goes on to say, but Christ is risen from the dead. He's become the first fruits of them that slept, and we can follow him in that. And so we wait for the coming of the Lord and the reward that he has promised to the righteous. Uh, we, we serve and wait anxiously. We're not just sitting doing nothing. As we said, we're serving as we wait. Uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, go back to that congregation just one more time. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 9. He says, as touching, again, this is to this good church in Thessalonica, as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and that you study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. You see that? No time to sit back and rest. You're, you're serving, you're waiting, but while you're waiting, keep serving, serve more. I, I really like that statement there in verse 10. He commends them for how they had shared brotherly love, brotherly love with one another. But he says, don't be content of that. Do even more of it. Uh, increase more and more. And so to these Christians who were serving and waiting, he says, don't, don't get content, don't let down, keep on keeping on and growing, doing more. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, Matthew 24, verse 44, therefore, ye, uh, therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think, the son of, uh, think not, the Son of Man cometh, who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord 
hath made ruler over his household, to give him meat in his due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. In other words, he says the blessed servant, so the, the, the master's away. He's given his servant responsibilities. If when the master comes back, he finds his servant doing what he was assigned to do, he said, this man will be blessed. That needs to be us. Uh, we, we need to be faithfully serving uh, as we wait for the Lord's return. So, here's a good church, church at Thessalonica. I think they rank very high among those New Testament congregations that we read about and that we know something about. And I believe here in, in this short passage, the Apostle Paul has, has pinpointed three reasons why they were so successful. They really turned, they got busy serving, they faithfully waited for the Lord's return. That will make us, as a congregation, as, both as individuals and as a, a collective whole, as a local congregation, we will be also successful in doing the Lord's work if we imitate them in those things. Thanks for listening to what we've had to say and hope it's helpful and encouragement to us all. As we conclude, we sing this song of invitation. You may need to do that very first thing that we mentioned. You, need, you may need to turn to God, that is to, to really repent and come to Him in, in humble obedience. If you need to obey the gospel plan of salvation this morning, we are, are anxious to assist you in that obedience. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've not done that, we hope you make that decision. Turn to God. If you've not been faithfully, but let's say that you have done that, but you've not been faithfully serving and waiting for the Lord, then you need to come back to Him. Uh, if you're a Christian, but you've not been faithful in the pursuit of His service, you need to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.